Hey guys, welcome back to the audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast. Today we are joined by longtime big buck killer Jay Gregory, and we're going to tackle a series of questions related to dealing with a wounded buck, how to track one, how to recover one, how to retarget a deer in the future that you may have wounded, or maybe just how to target a deer that you spooked. So take a listen and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. I'm back here in Missouri with Mr. Matt Drury. How are you, man? I'm good, buddy. It's uh, It's been fun having you here doing these in it person. It's nice. You had to drive a long way for us to do it. <laughs> it was a little bit of a hike, but uh, but like we were joking about earlier, it's a whole lot nicer setup than what I have back at home. Because usually <laughs> I have to go to my mother-in-law's house to record this because my internet's so bad at my house. So uh, Nobody wants to do that. No, this is a good upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to talk deer and be in a good setting for yeah, you. Yeah, so. good deal. We're, uh, I'm excited about all these different people we've been talking to. Yeah, and, I mean, and, I think, you know, that's the thing that we identified early on, that we needed to be more consistent and, and have really good guests. And uh, a big part of you coming here to the studio was, you know, we were just going to try to knock a bunch out in a few days' time and have a bunch of really good guests. And I think today is no different uh, with our podcast that we're getting ready to do. Yeah, yeah. So so tell us, who is joining us today, man? Yeah, we have Jay Gregory with the, the Wild Outdoors. And he's been one of the guys i think he's got the longest running show or at the time it was the longest running show on the outdoor channel and i know he's moved over to sportsman's channel here recently but uh he was with jury outdoors way back in the day and mark and dad have always credited jay gregory and don kiske as the two guys that really um i guess kind of paved the way for them to understand how to get on and 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 hunt mature uh, trophy whitetails and uh, and Jay's been doing it for a long long time so uh, without further ado we have Jay Gregory joining us how you doing how you Jay doing, guys? I want you to, yeah I want you to take us through some of those early days with Drury Outdoors so um, you, you said you you think you met Mark around the summer of 91 is that right yeah I think Mark and I met uh, the way Mark and I actually met is uh, I had was playing around with the video camera and actually sent uh, or showed a friend down in Kansas city, uh, one of our hunts and he knew Mark. And I think he just showed Mark the hunt. And next thing you know, Mark contacted me and we just became friends. And, you know, at the time they weren't doing the deer thing. Uh, you know, I do Mark from all the Turkey videos and all the contests he'd won. And we just kind of struck up a friendship. And then one thing led to another. And, uh, we were, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the early Drury deer videos. And, and honestly, and I've said this to a lot of people and I say it all the time, if it wasn't for Mark and Terry, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I mean, they gave me the opportunity to, um, to get on camera and, and, and do what I love to do. So my hat's always off to them and they're still, uh, you know, they're the, they're the leaders in this industry as far as I'm concerned about always, uh, being way ahead of the curve. So, and they're great friends, great people. So in those early years, you know, like it was kind of before many people really even saw mature giant whitetails like that. What was you guys' secret back then? Like, was it just the spots or was it the way you were hunting? I mean, Steve Stoltz, we had him on earlier and he talked a lot about how you guys taught them and him just the things that we probably take for granted now, like wind direction and, and, yeah. and the way you hunt a big deer. But uh, how did you learn those things? Where did you learn all those um, tactics from? 
you know, <laughs> I think probably as much as anything, just from trial and error, uh, reading a lot. I mean, as a kid growing up, I just was ate up with it. Uh, Miles Keller was a was a huge influence on me. Um, probably bow hunting October Whitetails, watching that video just made me, that's what made me really want to get into doing that. But as far as, you know, back then, food plots were really unheard of. So I think uh, we just got in close to bedding areas and, and we did a lot of rattling and calling. And, you know, I, I don't even do as much of that now as I used to. And I think it's because things have changed and food is such a predominant uh it, it plays such a predominant part of of your of everyone's hunts nowadays because everyone's planting food so you kind of got to get around that but back then there was really no food so you had to kind of move into those tight bedding areas and uh and of course you know there wasn't as many people doing it back then either so i don't know i look back on that too and it is kind of i mean i screwed up a lot don't get me wrong <laughs> i mean i uh, i can <laughs> i've made every mistake there is twice guaranteed so <laughs> it's just the way uh but that's just hunting in general from those early days what was one of your most favorite memories or something that you'll never forget or a story that maybe not many people know from from when you were with mark and dad in, in, in the early jury outdoors days oh boy um you know <laughs> this isn't exactly a good hunt but you're talking about steve stoltz I remember the first hunt that I ever went on out of state was to Alabama and I was with Steve and I remember that I was, uh, they took us way back in the swamp and dropped us off and it was like, I don't know, it was in its probably in the high twenties, low thirties that morning and we were crossing a log and I was carrying the camera equipment and whatnot and I slipped and fell off the log and broke through the ice and, and the guy had already left. So. Steve didn't know what to do and I was like it's okay let's just go get up in the tree and we sat there in the tree all morning till like 10 and I remember my clothes were all froze and there was steam coming off of me and Steve was more worried about me than he was but he actually shot and he ended up shooting deer that morning so wow. it was, uh, that was uh, that was kind of a maybe not a great memory but it was a memory <laughs> that's cool that's cool well and, and and from the time from then until now you've certainly made a name for yourself you know past the well past the jury outdoors days i mean you guys bow hunt everything you've been killing giants you know forever you guys are head shooting turkeys i mean you're some of the first that that i've ever seen really do that successfully over and over and over and um you guys have created your own brand and it's really done well in the last 25 28 whatever years so um we wanted to make sure we had you on and kind of pick your brain on some of these topics we'll go through here yeah yeah we've got we've got a number of different deer hunting questions for you jay and uh, we're going to take advantage of this time to make sure we get those answers so first we've got a listener submitted question that we want to run by you hey mark and crew thank you guys for the podcast Uh, this is scooter from south carolina and I have a question regarding wounding a deer and whether that deer would come back to the same location that it was wounded at. So to set this up, I took a trip to Ohio and through a series of unfortunate events, ended up shooting my backup bow that I wasn't super familiar with. Uh, and I actually had a shot at a buck of a lifetime and messed it up. Marginal shot, only had two inches of penetration. And after tracking this deer for over a mile, we realized this deer is definitely alive, definitely going to make it. And so in planning future hunts for this year, I'm wondering, is it worth going to that same spot or is that buck going to go ahead and mark it in his memory as a place to never return to? Um, and lo- would love to hear some of your experiences when it comes to things like this. So thank you guys again. 
All right, Jay, what do you think about that situation? Well, I mean, that is an unfortunate situation, obviously. I'm not going to say that deer is not going to come back to that same uh, spot. You know, I don't know that a deer will actually remember, and this is just my personal opinion, but um, there can be a lot of different factors of, you know, that deer doesn't necessarily know he was shot anyway. He just knows that he was in an area and something stung, you know, and uh, I don't know that they really have a memory. What I would offer as a suggestion to this person is, to make sure and you know like i use trophy rocks or biologic rocks uh to take pictures throughout the summer so what i would probably tell this guy to do is to get in there with your cameras and your minerals and or if you're allowed to bait in that state i don't know what they're allowed to do there but whatever if it's legal do it put some bait out get some cameras on it, and see if you can't get a picture of this deer in that area i'd probably spread some cameras out over that uh general area and see if i couldn't pick him up again and if you can then then I think it's definitely possible to kill him in that same area. I have actually heard scenarios before, and I know people that have shot deer and then turned around and killed that deer later on. You know, it's not something any of us are proud of when we make a bad shot. Um, but in this situation, it sounds like maybe he just shoulder shot him or hit him somewhere with very little penetration. The deer probably wasn't hurt at all. So probably, you know, that would be my best advice is try and find this deer this summer and if he's there and they, you know, he gets on him, I definitely think he could kill him in the same area again. Now, if we if we shifted the specifics a little bit, and if we said instead of him shooting a deer, he just spooked a deer, and this is a situation I think many of us have been in where the buck you're after either wins you or sees you or something, he spooks from that location. Now what would you say, Jay, in that kind of scenario, how long until you think that deer might ever show up in front of that tree stand during daylight, or is it never? Do you completely bail on that spot now, or is there some leeway? Uh, <laughs> if I spooked him or he winded me, uh, chances are you're probably not going to see him in that, in that spot again, I would say. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but you know, if you're talking a year later, maybe. Uh, if you're talking that season, probably not uh, i probably would move on and try and find him in a different spot and to what degree like is it is it just like within shooting range of that do you think he would shift and maybe just move 100 yards farther away or is it dramatic do you think like okay he's not going to be in this 50 acre area anymore i mean how much of a change do you think is necessary it just depends honestly it depends on how bad you spooked him uh how old the deer is, how mature he is. Uh, if you're talking about a mature deer and he gets down one of you and busts you, um, there's probably a pretty good chance he's not going to be anywhere near that area anymore. Uh, I hate to say that, but I've run across that situation myself or, you know, and, and in talking to even Mark, you know, we've talked about that kind of stuff a lot and deer that's uh, mature. And if you mess up once, it's usually a, a one and done. And unfortunately, Hmm. Well, you know, I, I noticed just in my own experience there, um, two seasons ago, I missed a deer and last season he came back. I never saw him again that season uh, on camera, no pictures or anything like that. And then the following season he showed back up right before the rut. And, um, and then Adam Wainwright actually had an encounter with him from that same tree stand. I missed him from, he was gun hunting, you know, it was opening day of the Missouri gun season and, uh, he saw him, but he was about 30 yards away from where he was when I missed him. So he was just up from there, you know, a little bit, like he was still kind of traveling that same corridor that he was 
frequent, you know, frequently going on last year or the year before, but it's the first time we had saw him in person and he was just a little bit out of bow range, you know, but he was totally within gun range. So, I mean, he came back. It was just a year later. It is interesting. I mean, you hear a lot of different opinions on this. To to what degree does a mature buck have a memory? Is it a memory or is it just learned association with a location and a bad thing that happened? I mean, I don't know. Do you think that that bucks have some kind of memory of specifics or is it more of a general aversion to an area because of a, a bad, you know, consequence or something well, yeah because you always hear about that like they once you call to them you you schooled them up you know and you'll right. never that... react again the same way like so do they you know remember that yeah what have you seen jay you know i think a lot of it has to do with like you were saying uh, um i think a lot of it has to do with their mood uh the the instance that you catch them in um you know obviously the rut affects affects bucks in a in a bad way a good way for us bad way for them um, I would say that uh, it's more of a learned response. It's a conditioned response that, that they get. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, it, it's hard to tell. I don't know if they actually remember or not, but I do know that you can definitely condition a deer <laughs> for sure. And that's why big mature bucks get hard to kill. And especially you talk to people that hunt in public ground that deer get a lot of pressure and they say, well, they never move. Well, it's it's because they're conditioned because every time they move in daylight, you know, something bad happens or they smell something <laughs> bad. So it pushes them to where they're more nocturnal. So I, I believe it's probably more of a just a conditioned response than, than it is a memory. Uh, although I guess a conditioned response in some senses is a memory too. So uh, it, yeah, it, that's why they're tough. No doubt about it. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> Now, I, I kind of want to pick your brain, and maybe I'm jumping too quick here, but back to the situation of wounding a deer, um, just in general, can you walk us through for you, Jay, after you shoot a deer, if you haven't seen it go down, can you just walk us through what your typical thought process is? I mean, how do you decide how long you're going to wait until tracking? How, what are the things you're paying attention to or thinking about? Um, you know, What are some of the things where you think you have wounded a deer and you've tracked all day and now it's day two. I'm just kind of curious about the specifics of everything you're thinking about through that process. Um, you know, if we're taking Scooter's question and, and now backing it up before he realized that this deer survived, what are some of the things maybe he could have been thinking about to help through that process? Well, number one, uh, because of what we all do, we have the advantage of video. The number one most important thing is to, first of all, figure out exactly where you hit the animal. Um, we always err on the side of caution. So I'm going to say, I'll, I'll give you a couple different scenarios. First of all, if we hit one in the ribs, but back, and we think it's probably a liver shot, then we're going to always be very careful. I'm usually going to give that deer, if I shoot it in the evening, I'm definitely not looking till the next day. If I shoot it in the morning, there's a good chance I'm probably not going to go till the next morning. Um, I just always err on the side of giving them too much time. Now, obviously, temperatures and everything play into that because you don't want to waste the meat. But the flip side of that is if you jump them and blow them out of the country and they get pumped full of adrenaline, you're never going to find them anyway and you're not going to get the meat. So there's a delicate decision there to make. Now, if it's a gut shot, it's a 24-hour rule every time. Guaranteed, uh, we will not go. Um, if I If somebody makes a good shot, and we're on the blood trail and it goes further than we think it should have, then we'll back out. 
you know, and we'll give them a little bit longer. But most of the time you can tell by the arrow placement, you know, that'll usually tell you how long you need to wait. And for, like I said, for the most part, we always err on the side of, of caution. And I would rather wait a little too long than not long enough. Everyone knows, I mean, once you jump one, uh, they get really tough because they get pumped full of adrenaline. If there's not a lot of blood for some reason, um, they, it can be tough. Well, we've all been there. We, it always amazes, you know, amazes me because when we get <clears throat> some hate mail about that, if we had to leave one lay overnight, <clears throat> it's like, oh, you wasted all that meat. <clears throat> but my, my thought process is always, well, if we never recovered it, right. What I mean, what good is it? You know, because then you're you're instantly labeled like, oh, you're just a trophy hunter. You don't care about the meat. Yeah, we care about the meat. Obviously, we do. I mean, that's you know, we're not just out there for the antlers. I mean, it's so. But if you don't ever recover the deer, if you don't do the right thing to get the deer, there's no chance. There's no chance to get the meat. Yeah. So I I don't under, I never understand that mentality. I'm sure you've gotten some of that before as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I, exactly. I. And, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I understand what they're saying. Yes. We all do. Nobody ever wants to lose an animal. And if we find the animal, we don't want the meat to be spoiled. I mean, but the bottom line is you got to find the animal in order for that to even become an issue. So, you know, it's the rationale that, well, you should have went after that deer earlier. Well, yeah, if I'd have went after that deer earlier, I would have probably just pushed him out of the country and then I'd have never found him. So, I mean... You know, and it's it's all based on our past experiences. We've all made the mistake of going too early. Yeah. Um, you know, and we know what happens when that happens. You don't usually recover the deer, so you've got to be careful. And that's, you know, it's an it's an educated guess you take on what you do. But I always try and uh, and I know Mark and Terry are the same way. I mean, they're they will err on the side of uh, of, of, of waiting too long. It's just a better situation. Every- He's dead. Yeah. yeah, every time. And and the reason why, to your point, is because they, through the years, they've had so many track jobs. And, like, people don't understand that. It's not just the bucks. I mean, they, they, they'll kill, you know, 30, 30 doe or whatever, 20, 30 doe a year. So they see numer- numerous track jobs, mm-hmm. and, and they learn from every single one of them. So, you know, they, they, they just have... 30, 40 years of history to go off of, you know what I mean? So that when in doubt, they always say when in doubt back out. And that's, it just, I mean, anytime that they haven't done that, it usually hasn't ended well. And so that's what they fall back on those experiences, you know, and that's why they are the way they are. And, you know, if the weather, if it gets down, you know, below 40 at night, you know, you're relatively safe anyways with the meat, right? Because I mean, what the deer cooler is at what, 42, 43, you know, so I mean, you got to think about it like that as well. The only the only concern there would maybe be coyotes or something like that. Yeah, that's always one of those variables you can't control. Yeah, and you worry about that. But, yeah. Uh, speaking of these kind of tough track jobs and that decision, you know, do you wait until the next day and all that? Do you have any other things that you've learned over the years, Jay, when it comes to one of those tough track jobs where the blood starts drying up or you start finding yourself in that tough deal? Is there anything you've learned that's helped you, whether it be about you know some basic tendencies that deer tend to have that you've been helped you find them in the past or anything else that you're thinking about at that point like how do you proceed when it gets tough and you've lost blood and you've already waited till the next day or whatever it might be what next well i I will i'll tell you one thing that might be a little bit politically incorrect or politically incorrect but uh if it's legal in your state and you have access 
to someone who has a really good bloodhound, mm-hmm. that is definitely an option that, uh, and we've used it before. And it's, uh, you know, like we've been talking about that the major, the major thing here is to recover the deer at all costs. So that is, uh, that's something now, not all states are legal. So you have to check your state and make sure that it is legal to do that. The other thing that we have found with track jobs is that it seems as though most of these deer always make a big circle. Um, I can't tell you how many times we found deer that we would have swore we'd have never found them where we found them because they were so much closer to where we where we shot them than where they thought they would be. Or they, the deer always seem to make a circle. You know, it seems like they always circle back to where they came from. So uh, that's something to always keep in mind if you're having to grid and look for a deer when you've run out of blood is – uh, a lot of times those deer don't make a straight line. Um, most of the time they're making a circle back to the area that they came from before they were shot. Hmm. What about a couple of those kind of commonly held beliefs that I feel like get tossed around a lot, like deer will go to water or a wounded deer doesn't want to go uphill. Um, I've heard different opinions on both of those. What have you seen? Well, I think they will go to water some, um, and, wounded deer that i've been after certainly will go up a hill because i've been on blood trails before that i've been like there's no way he's going to go up that hill and And there he goes there he goes up (laughs) the hill so i don't know if there's any rhyme or reason uh for why they do what they do it just it seems as though a lot of times though they will circle you know they're always in the process of making a circle back to the area that they come from if if they they're shot in a spot where they're not going to die real quick. So obviously a deer double lunged or caught in the main artery of a liver or the main, I mean, they're just on a dead run wherever they run to they're they're dead when they, you know, when they get as far as they can go, but a deer that's maybe shot in a liver, uh, or a gut shot deer that has its wits about them. It seems as though they like to, they like to circle back to the area they come from. And a single lung hit. I, that seems to be one that's, a lot of people struggle with because you got good blood maybe and but they're going forever like what what have you encountered in in that instance where it's a single long hit how long should you wait before you go in after them you know you got good blood so the instinct is oh there's no way he's alive still let's go after him but you jump him out of his first bed and like you said then it's all she wrote sometimes yeah well here's the and this goes back to kind of this this whole meat discussion is when you shoot one in the lungs, the, the biggest problem with that is that when they, usually they won't go very far and they'll bed. Well, when they bed, they compress their lungs, so they quit bleeding. And if you only got a one lung hit, and that's the problem with, uh, with going in too quick and jumping them, chances are if you don't jump them and leave them there, that's where you're going to find them. They're going to be real close to there. You know, they might get up and rebed 10 yards from there. But once they get up and you get them running and they get pumped full of adrenaline and the oxygen goes back in again, you know, and a lot of times that wound will heal, you know, it'll plug or it'll heal up, to, not heal, but it'll plug to where they're not bleeding as much. It just makes it so difficult. A single lung deer is one of the toughest because a lot of times you don't know it's a single lung until it's too late. So there again, it's it's all shot placement and, and you know, trying to make sure that you've got a good shot on any deer, which we all do. It just doesn't happen all the time. So if it's single lung, is that where you have a lot of air, like air bubbles in the blood? Like, you know, so say it's your average guy. He doesn't have video of it. You know, in the moment, he doesn't really remember where he hit the deer. So you, all you have to go off of is what type, what the arrow looks like, if you find it, or what the blood looks like. So if it was a single lung, is that where it has more air bubbles in the blood? 
You know, that's honestly, that's a great question. And I don't really know the answer to that. I just know, you know, like you said, a lot of times on a single lung, you're going to have a lot of blood at first. And then, you know, the blood will generally peter out and, and they're usually going to go to a bed pretty quick. That's why it's, uh, you know, the best thing I could tell somebody is if they, if they were on a blood trail, had a lot of air in the blood and it bright pink lung blood, and then they go to a bed and then the deer gets up from the bed back out. And if it's in a morning, I would probably wait till the following morning. And if it's at evening, I'm definitely waiting till the following morning. And, you know, you're just going to hope that if you jumped him, you didn't jump him terribly bad. And he maybe only goes a couple hundred yards where he beds down again. And that's where you'll find him. It's a tough situation. That's always the, especially because when you, when you see that blood with the, with the, the yeah. bubbles in it and everything, and yeah. you looked like a pretty decent shot, you're excited. You want to go get him. You feel like, all right, you know, it's a dead deer. And then to have that, I've, I've seen it's that. Deflating. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so I've just got another one of those kind of impossible questions for you, Jay, that I know is very dependent on a lot of different variables and things like that. But kind of curious in your high-level thoughts, you know, after a situation like this, when you shoot a deer, whether you recovered or not, um, you've gone in there, you've tracked deer, you've been looking around and stuff. How does that change your hunting strategy for the rest of that season? You know, are you waiting a week? Are you waiting two weeks? Or can you go right back in there if it's during the rut and kill another deer, you know, half a mile away or 20 yards you know, away? actually during the rut and during season i mean i i don't really think that uh i don't think it really beats up an area too bad if you go in and recover a deer and get out um you know i'm definitely going to want to give it a few days at least but during the rut you know a lot of a lot of new deer are coming into the area all the time you've got a lot of deer that are passing through so it's 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 not going to be as critical then as it's going to be say during the early season or even late season but if it's during the rut and, you know, you've got a lot of fresh deer moving in, moving out, um, you know, I always like to try and get into my areas. If we kill a deer, get in, get the recovery, get him out of there as soon as possible and leave it as unmolested as possible. But um, during the rut, you're going to get away with a lot more with that type of situation. Well, I, I was going to say something just like what you said. I mean, I, I, when I'm with Dad or Mark, it's always about you. I mean, we're whispering inside the timber and even if we recover the animal a lot of times we'll drag them out and do you know do the field dressing and the hero and all that other stuff that we got to do for video we'll do that in a whole different location right. you know of course we tag it before we move it but it's it's one of those deals where i've seen them they're so protective about intrusion um in those instances i think you can go back in there but man, I've heard some horror stories and I've been with some people that just talk at regular levels and, you know, they don't think anything of it. And, you know, they might bring, you know, Uncle Bob and Jim and Joe and all their buddies and, you know, and, and everybody's talking. And in those instances, I think it probably just kills the spot, really. Right. I mean, isn't that what yeah. you've probably seen, Jay? Totally agree. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Very Absolutely. Dependent. Very dependent on how, on how you go about it. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, hopefully then if, if it's that scenario where you're done hunting there, either way, you, you've got your buck. Hopefully you found it and it was a great season and maybe maybe you're okay with that. But uh, interesting topic here. I mean, the situation of wounding a deer and having to deal with that is one, like you said, Jay, that none of us ever want to have to deal with. But unfortunately, if you hunt long enough, we almost all do. So it's, it's good to, I think, think about these different 
circumstances and be prepared for it, you know? Although anytime I ever respond this way to somebody that emails us, giving us crap, like, I've hunted 35 years and that's never happened to me. I don't take a shot unless it's the perfect shot. So there's a lot of really perfect people out there. I didn't realize it's it. It's just not you and me. <laughs> it's just not us. <laughs> Jay, is it you? Oh, yeah. That's, I've been there before. I Yeah. that. I mean, we're just, we happen to be, you know, we all get hate mail once in a while and they're, uh, you know, it's, I think the other funny thing is when I hear people say, well, uh, I, you know, I, I shot this great big buck and I didn't find it. Well, where did you hit it? Well, I hit him right behind the front shoulder. I, I double lunged him. Sure. Well, no, you didn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, you didn't. You know, and it's funny because Matt, I know you guys have been in the same situation. I mean, we do everything on video and we've actually shot deer before. And I could have swore to you where that arrow hit. Yeah. And then we go back and watch it on TV and we go, oh, wow, I didn't think it was that far back or I didn't think it was that low. You know, it, it, your eyes, you know, when that adrenaline's pumping, you don't always see things exactly the way that it happens. You know, the video doesn't lie. And and it's been the opposite, too. I've had shots where I've went back and watched it and go, oh, well, he's dead. That's yeah. way better than I thought it was, you know, so. Not only that, but right in the moment of truth, there's been so many times inevitably where the deer – curls are front leg you know moves back or forward whatever you know does something that changes your arrow placement might have been good but the deer moved ever so slightly in that moment of truth and it completely changes things you know and like jay said we have the luxury of looking at that on video but that will change how you go about trying to go recover that animal that absolutely every time you know and one of the things you know Mark and Terry have seen hundreds of deer shot on video, have watched all that. I have too. But every year, we will send each other video back and forth via the phone. Maybe a half a dozen times a year, he'll send me a shot and say, what do you think? Mm -hmm. I'll do the same for him. Even if I know it's a good shot or he knows it's a good shot, and then in some cases, maybe not. But it's always a, it's a learning process. You're never, you never quit learning. He's always wanting my opinion. I'm always wanting his opinion. Uh, it's, you know, no two shots are ever the same. And you, you always want to look at that stuff so that you have that, you know, that's in the back of your mind. So, uh, you can learn from it. So it, it, it's, it's a never ending process. And you guys have the luxury because you've seen so many deer die over the years that there's a good chance you may have experienced this type of hit that, you know, Mark, or, and, and a lot of times what happens is our team members or myself, or we'll send it to Mark and Dad, what are your thoughts? And then a lot of times Mark will send it to his core group. So it's Jay Gregory, it's, you know, it's Bobby Culbertson down at Terra Wildlife who sees, you know, it's an outfitting service down Mississippi, it sees hundreds of deer die, you know. So it's about getting all those opinions. Tracker John, a lot of times Mark will send it to Tracker John who has a, a bloodhound or whatever and see his opinion. And it's just amazing. I guess, you know, the, the moral of the story is don't be afraid to ask your friends, you know, what are you thinking? I I hit him, you know, you may not have the video to show, but Hey, I think I hit this deer here, here. What do you think? You know, what, what should I do here? You know, the, the toughest part of that too, is you get asked, you know, sometimes you get asked the question and you know, they're not going to like the answer you're going to give them. I mean, cause there's times whenever you, you can actually see something that's happening you're like, man, you don't want to tell somebody you're not going to find that deer. That deer is not dead. Yeah. But if, if they're asked my opinion and I've seen that shot many times before, I mean, 
you just got to give them the, the the honest opinion. You know, you can always say, well, you can go look, but yeah, and you should go look always. You should. Yeah, but chances are that deer's still still kicking. Well, the, there's always a weird instance where you might have really good blood, and maybe it's a single single lung issue. I don't know where you had really good blood, but. I mean, we've had these times where we never found the deer. Mm-hmm. And you search, you search, and to your point a while ago, you said the blood will just finally peter out. And it's just like at that point you're searching for a body, but I don't think they're dead. You know, it's like I think he lived. And a lot of times we'll get, uh, you know, trail camera pictures of that deer later on back to a food source or during the rut or whatever. And it's like, I can't believe he lived through this shot. Like, how is this even possible? But then exactly to Jay's point too, you'll have the exact opposite happen sometimes where you'll have a shot that's like, oh, that deer is going to make it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it clips an artery or something wonky happens. And lo and behold, you know, even though the blood dried up or something, if you kept circling, kept circling, you did find it. So it's like you always have to assume it's a dead deer. Yeah. Do everything you can because you ne- you never want to make their assumption the wrong way. Yeah. The, but uh, the, the shot that always amazes me is the one, and I've seen it. You know, with, with we have forty five team members or whatever, and we every year there's about a hundred deer kills that we see yep. through Jury Outdoors, and there's always a few where a guy made a bad shot. You know, and it's in the basically in the backhand or whatever, and it's like it amazes me how many times they've gotten lucky and it's clipped that artery yeah. back there. It's yeah. it's unbelievable. I mean, it. it you know, so sometimes the the crappiest shot turns out to be the most lethal just by pure luck. Right. Sometimes you have to hope for that. Hopefully that's yeah. not the case, but yeah. Uh, yeah, bad things do happen sometimes. So I think we've hit this wounded deer thing pretty pretty good. Absolutely. It's a topic we never want to talk about, like no. you said, but uh, has to be sometimes. So anything else on that topic, Jay, that you, that you want to make sure to share? No, it just I, I'll reiterate the point that you guys just made is always always assume the deer's dead. Always put every effort, you know, in finding that deer. And, uh, you know, and, and the other thing I would say is just uh, be really careful about your shot placement. You know, if you're if you're more careful about your shot placement, you won't have near as many uh, problems finding the deer. Make sure the broadside quartered away. Try and keep it in the middle of their body and uh, let it rip. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that about the broadside or quartering away because there's a lot of things that just happen. But that's one thing you can control to an extent of like when you pull the trigger. Yeah. You, you know, like if you wait for that time that they're quartering away or it's broadside, your chances are going to increase a lot more. The obviously the vitals grow for you. Yeah. You know, so I, I'd always a head scratcher when you see somebody take that like extreme quartering two shot. It's like, all right, man, like, what what are you thinking here? And that's those emails that you mentioned, Jay. Like when somebody says I hit him perfect, it's like, well, what was the angle? He's like, oh, he was coming right at me. It's like, well, all right, you probably didn't hit him perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves as hunters to, to hunt these deer, to find these deer, to get a shot. And I think sometimes that pressure of trying to get to that point puts enough pressure on somebody to take a shot that they really shouldn't Hundred you know, because because oh my gosh i've worked so hard i got it i gotta shoot i gotta shoot even though it's not a great situation how many and times be... have you heard a guy say i had to shoot right then if you say if you're saying that you're probably done messed up yeah, <laughs> That's, I mean, it's, realistically it's never worth well, it's just, the risk it's just like the fellow that that asked the question he said i you know i had a very small i had a two inch margin of you know i had a two inch area i had to get the arrow through yeah, yeah, two inches of penetration, should, I you think. Know, maybe he should have waited, you know, yeah. or not shot, and maybe, you know, I can't second guess for everybody, but we've all, you have to make that decision on the on the go, but, 
definitely puts the odds in your favor if you'll wait for a good shot. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, I guess with that, Matt, maybe we wrap this one up. Jay, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. Well, thanks for having me, guys. We appreciate it, buddy. You're a wealth of knowledge, and if anybody wants to check out a lot of cool archery-only stuff, yeah, I mean, it's all bow hunting. It's wild outdoors. Jay, Greg- Jay Gregory. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, to everyone out there watching and listening, a couple quick reminders from me and Matt. If you want the audio version of this podcast, you can go to iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play and be sure to subscribe there, leave a review, um, take the podcast on your, your drive to work or on the treadmill or whatever you're doing. You can also submit your very own question for us to answer in the future at wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. And you can follow along with what I'm up to over at Wired to Hunt on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. As always, you can check out the video version of this podcast at the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. Uh, While you're there, be sure to check out all the DoD TV episodes and the Killing It in the Kitchens and all the throwbacks and everything else we got going. As always, follow us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and DruryOutdoors.com. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.